morning, everybody. My name is Alex Barthet. I am with the Barthet Firm. I, on behalf of the Barthet Firm and Sunray, welcome you to this webinar called I've Been Sued, Now What? Today we're going to go through the topics and answer your questions regarding um, what to do when you've been sued. Uh, hopefully you can avoid it, but if not, this is what you have in store for you. But we're going to go ahead and get started. So we're going to talk about what leads up to a lawsuit. Once you're served, what are the next steps you have to take? Do you have insurance to cover some or all of the claims associated with the lawsuit? Can you recover your legal fees, whether you have to pay them on your own or whether the insurance company pays them and they get reimbursed? And then I'll share with you some secret tips and tricks that I am aware of, having done this for almost 20 years. All right, so let's get started. What leads up to a lawsuit? The first thing you need to understand is that our legal system, for the most part, allows almost anyone to sue anyone else for almost anything. Probably not a shock to you to hear that, but once you understand that, you'll understand that, that you could be sued for lots of things that you think shouldn't be your fault or you had nothing to do with. So with that in mind, you need to be prepared, and the best way to be prepared is to document things. And the reason documentation is so critical is because when in a court setting, if there is a document that happened at about at or about the time of an incident, it typically is given a lot of weight and is typically very credible. So if something were to happen and you have an email that describes what happened from your perspective, Fast forward a year, if there's a lawsuit, that email becomes very important. So knowing that you could be the victim of a lawsuit, you need to understand that documentation is critical. You should have your contracts in writing, ideally reviewed by a lawyer, and that include all of the terms and conditions that you believe to be important and part of the deal. You should email those folks on your projects frequently. You should take lots and lots of photos. All the time you should be taking photos of the project, of the surrounding area, of things that happen on the job, because those photos, once the project moves forward, the walls are closed up, there's nothing you can do to get those pictures again. Most times you know that the lawsuit is coming. It's not a surprise to you that a dispute is brewing and therefore something may percolate into a, a lawsuit. With that in mind, you should try to resolve the issues as best you can to avoid having them turn into a lawsuit. So once you're served, what are the next steps? So you would be served with the lawsuit by a process server or the sheriff. They'll typically knock on your door. If you have a company and the company is served, the registered agent is typically the first person to get served. You may not know who your registered agent is, but if you go to sunbiz.org, look up the information for the company, for your company, and it'll list the registered agent. Sometimes it's the lawyer or accountant that set up the company. Sometimes it, it may be you or an officer of the company. That's typically the first person that will get notice of the service, uh, of the lawsuit. Once you have the lawsuit served upon you, then you have 20 days from that date to file a response. And that response typically is either one of two things. You can, what's called, move to dismiss or you can file an answer and assert defenses. A motion to dismiss is a document that is filed with the court and says that this case shouldn't be brought because of some 
technical reasons. Typically, motions to dismiss are heard relatively quickly, but they're not dispositive of the case, meaning that most times a motion to dismiss may be granted, but the other side, the plaintiff, the person suing you, has the right to amend. Um, and, and most times the judge will allow them to amend several times, meaning you could be served with a complaint, move to dismiss, you prevail, they amend, move to dismiss again, and they and you prevail and they get to amend again. Um, there's no hard and fast rule, but but typically it's three strikes and you're out. But know that most of these issues are technical in nature and many times when they, even if you are successful on a motion to dismiss, if they amend and say the magic words that the judge wants them to say in their complaint, the case will continue, at which point you'll have to file an answer and assert your defenses. And the answer may be, no, it's not my fault. And the affirmative defenses may be, um, I wasn't there. Uh, I wasn't on the job then. Uh, it wasn't within my scope. Other people delayed me on the job, so therefore that's why I was delayed in the work that I did. Um, you have to be careful, though, that there are some complaints that may be served upon you where you don't have the ability to file a motion to dismiss, and you have to file certain other documents. The one that's most common is what's called a 20-day summons to show cause. This is a lien foreclosure type action where um, if you file a lien, the other side may file a 20-day summons to show cause, and, and that requires you to file your foreclosure action on your lien right away. So just know that in most instances, the next step after getting served with a lawsuit is to move to dismiss or to answer and assert defenses, but there are exceptions to that rule. Once the lawsuit is moving forward because an answer has been filed, um, the next step typically is discovery. Those are written questions that are sent to both parties by the lawyers that have to be answered usually within 30 days. There may be requests for production. Those are, doc those are requests to or from you that have to be responded to within 30 days and that's to produce the record related to the case. And then the last significant type of discovery is what's called depositions. Those are subpoenas that are served upon you or you serve on the other side or third-party witnesses, and those people come into typically the lawyer or court reporter's office and provide testimony under oath, meaning they're asked questions verbally and they answer verbally and their, their answers are taken down and used in the case later. Usually after the discovery is done, then some parties may file what are called motions for summary judgment. And these are motions that are filed with the court and the judge hears the motion and determines whether or not based on everything that's happened thus far in the case, including the facts that have been produced and the discovery that's been taken, whether or not the judge can rule in favor of one party or the other, uh, either as to the whole case or as to certain limited component parts of the case. So maybe someone has sued you for breach of contract and they take some discovery, then they decide that they have enough facts to go in front of the judge and say that they want the judge to rule that they won and you lost on the count of breach of contract. Summary judgments are usually hard to get because if there's any dispute as to the factual issues in the case, then the judge will deny the motion 
and the case will continue. And then the next step is typically the last step, but for an appeal, which is the trial. Um, trials can be either in front of a jury or just in front of a judge. And those trials can be just a few hours long or they can go on for weeks, depending on the number of parties and the complexity of the case. You need to understand that the legal system is very, very slow. Most cases take between 12 and 18 months, and there are cases that will go on for 24 or 36 months. The longest case we had in our office went on for almost 10 years. So there's no speedy resolution if you leave the, the resolution solely within the hands of the, the legal system. And upwards of 98% of the cases that get filed get settled, meaning that they never go to trial. They may get filed and they settle at some point before trial. So maybe it's before discovery is done or right before trial on the courthouse steps. It's important to know that you need to have the right advocate representing you. So hiring the right lawyer, and we'll talk about what that means when you have insurance uh, or if you have insurance, uh, but hiring the right lawyer is important. We've had a, other webinars on how to find and hire a lawyer. We also have a video that describes the process, 10 questions you need to ask and things you should consider in how to find, hire, and manage a lawyer. Um, you can find that on our YouTube channel or on our website, which is theleanzone.com. So the next question we get a lot is, do you have insurance for this? And the answer is maybe. You first need to understand what insurance covers and what it doesn't cover. So let's talk about what insurance typically covers especially in the construction setting. In most instances, your GL carrier will cover claims for damage to other property. Not your work itself, but property other than your work. You may also have other types of insurance. So you may have work comp insurance. So a employee that's injured in the course of their employment can make a claim on your work comp policy. You should have auto insurance, so if you get in a car accident or your, your autos or, or trucks are damaged, you have insurance for that. But in the construction setting, most times we get involved with our clients' GL carriers, which is coverage only to damage to other properties. So let me give you an example. If you are a window contractor, a glass and glazing contractor, and you install windows in a building, and the the claim is that the windows were installed in property, improperly and are leaking. You don't have insurance for the alleged defective installation or the alleged defective windows. What you may have coverage for is the water damage that damaged other things like drywall or millwork. Those things would be covered and the magic words that need to be included in a complaint when they sue you for those types of things is a specific reference to damage to other property. So in many cases when we have a client that served with a, a lawsuit that could potentially be covered by insurance we may call the other lawyer if he hasn't said or she hasn't said the magic words and see if they'll amend the complaint to say the magic words uh, which is damage to other property so that there may be coverage in the complaint. So we can tender it to the insurance company and the insurance company will pick up the defense costs. So let's talk about what your insurance typically does not cover. It doesn't cover defective work. So if there's no damage to other property 
and it's just defective work, your insurance company will not typically provide a defense to the case, meaning hire a lawyer and pay the lawyer on your behalf. So we have a case now with a painting contractor on a building, and the claim is that the paint is fading sooner or more quickly than it should. There's no damage to other property. If there's no claim that the paint was put on improperly such that it's caused leaks or it was, you know, they, they did it so sloppily that it had to get, you know, it got on other things and therefore had to be cleaned and, and it damaged that other property. It's just that they think it wasn't applied thick enough. There is no coverage for that. Uh, the client submitted it to their carrier and the carrier denied the claim. So the client is paying the defense of that claim out of his own pocket. Other types of claims that are not covered by insurance are breach of contract. So if someone claims that you breached the contract, maybe you they claim you installed the wrong material, you didn't deliver on time, all of those issues uh, would be outside of a standard commercial general liability policy. And therefore, if you get sued, you will have to pay for the defense yourself. If you do have coverage, or if you have any possibility of having coverage, you need to report the claims to your insurance company and to your agent right away. If you do, you may receive what's called a reservation of rights letter if they decide to pick up the claim. Reservation of rights is typically, called, uh, typically referred to by the acronym ROR, and that is a statement from your insurance company where they say, we have received your claim, we understand the claim, while we investigate the claim, we will provide you a defense, meaning an attorney, to deal with the case, but we don't agree at this point that it's covered. So we may, the insurance company, we may decide later to deny coverage and withdraw the defense that we've given to you. So just be aware that reservation of rights letters may be sent to you, and that's the meaning of the letter. So next, can you recover your legal fees? You need to understand that in, in Florida, there's only three ways to recover your legal fees in a claim. One is if you have a written contract, and the written contract says that the prevailing party is entitled to recover their legal fees. So if you get sued for breach of contract, and your contract is in writing, and it says that the prevailing party gets their fees, well then, the prevailing party will likely recover their fees. So if you have an oral agreement, nothing in writing, or a proposal, and it doesn't have those terms, then if you get sued, the, the winner is not likely to recover their fees based on the written contract. You can also recover your legal fees based on a, a statute, a law on the books. The two most common that exist in Florida are the lien foreclosure statute and the bond statute. So if those claims are asserted, then the winner in those cases may get their attorney's fees. And then the last way is in the middle of a case, if you get either you serve upon the other side or they serve upon you what's called a formal proposal for settlement, then to the extent that that offer isn't beaten by 25% at trial, then the court will go back in time from the date that that offer is made and that party would be considered the prevailing party. The purpose of this rule is to encourage settlement so that it causes people to make offers in the case that are aggressive because if they don't beat the offer by a significant portion then the other side will get their legal fees. 
So know that in the middle of a case, even if the first two rules don't apply, there may be ways to transfer the risk of attorney's fees, and that's what's called a formal proposal for settlement. So let's go over, go over a few secret tips and tricks that I can share with you. If you do have insurance, try to get a lawyer that you know, like, and trust appointed to the case. Typically, insurance companies have a panel of lawyers, um, and when you submit a claim to an insurance company, that insurance company will, uh, if they decide to provide a defense, will hire a lawyer that they have a relationship with. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but because the relationship with an attorney is very personal, you may feel more comfortable wanting an attorney that you know and that you have a relationship with. So the way to do that is that when the claim is submitted, you and your lawyer need to do everything that you can to try to get the lawyer appointed. Um, so the lawyer has to be qualified to handle the case, have the necessary experience in that area of the law, agree to the billing rates of the insurance company, which are typically much lower than the free market competitive rates of, of attorneys in, in the geographic area, and finally agree to the billing guidelines that the insurance company has. So they have certain reporting requirements, uh, their bills have to be submitted to them in a certain way, in a certain format, typically electronically in, a, in an approved format. But if your lawyer can satisfy all of those requirements, then you have a, a good chance at having your lawyer appointed and paid for by the insurance company rather than having the insurance company's lawyer appointed to your case. Even if you do have insurance, you need to monitor the costs of the defense so they don't hit your loss runs. Typically, uh, and you can talk to your insurance agent, your loss runs are run, I believe it's for the last three years, and that is considered in any renewal of your policy. So if you have a an upcoming renewal, and you may not have lost the case, but you may have $100,000 in legal fees that the insurance company has paid to uh, the attorney, those fees are going to affect your loss runs and therefore may affect your, your premium that you'll have to pay at renewal. So don't just assume, well, the insurance company has given me a lawyer. I don't have to worry about it. You need to try to monitor what's going on to get the most uh, efficient outcome possible. In that regard, you should think about it like this. You need to be a co-pilot in the case, not a passenger, because this case is going to have impacts on you presently and in the future. Uh, for your lawyer, he or she is doing their job, and when the case is over, they'll go on to the next case. So you need to take control. You need to ask lots of questions. You need to be involved in the decision-making. And this includes even if your insurance company is the one that is paying for the defense. Always remember that a bad settlement is better than a good lawsuit. Uh, settling cases is the best and most efficient way to resolve a dispute. Um, sometimes that's not in the cards and you have to go all the way, but always remember that, that the outcome of a case, no matter how strongly you may feel, may come out differently than what you expected. And no lawyer is going to be able to guarantee the outcome. So even if your lawyer says you have a good case or even a great case, 
that doesn't mean that it's a slam dunk. So if you if you have the ability to settle a case, you should do that rather than move forward even with a good or great lawsuit.